Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Hi there, and thank you so much for coming back to listen to my second trip in Wonderland. If this is your first time, thanks for checking me out now. Either way, I'm so excited to have you here with me on this journey. I discussed before that I have an entire journal of subjects I'm curious about for us to dive into, but this week's topic is actually by request from Maria Prey in Columbia, South Carolina. So what subject has Maria wondering? The moon. The moon. The moon. The moon. The moon. It's the moon. This week, we're going down the rabbit hole and looking up to the sky at the moon. I wonder. 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 It's a big, beautiful ball in the night sky. We've no doubt spent hours of our lives looking at it and dreaming under it. But how much do you really know about the moon? What exactly is it? How did it get there? Is it the only one? What does it do? What do you really know about the moon? It is big. I know that the moon is uh, rotating and around. Is it rotating? Um, it's the moon. And we landed on it. <laughs> and we planted a flag. It is Earth's satellite that orbits the orbits our planet. And the moon was likely created from a small planet or a large asteroid that hit the Earth and spun off a chunk of it. I know that it... Um... I know that it controls our tides, our waves, and it revolves around the world. The moon revolves around the Earth at the same speed relative to its rotation, so we only see one side of the moon at a time. It's, uh, it is uh, orbiting the Earth. Um, it used to be part of the Earth. It's far away. The moon is big. It's the largest and brightest object in the night sky. It's also just one moon out of more than 200 moons orbiting planets in our solar system. It makes our planet more livable by moderating the Earth's wobble on its axis, which leads to a relatively stable climate. As many people guessed, it does cause tides. And the leading theory about how it got here was that it was formed after a Mars-sized body collided with Earth. We'll talk about all of this and more as we traverse the rabbit hole this week. Do all planets have moons or just Earth? A lot of planets do. I think all of ours do in the solar system. Okay. A lot of them have more than one. Nope. Uh, not, I don't think all planets have moons. Maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> more than just Earth. I don't know if all planets have moons, but definitely more than Earth. We have a moon, but I think some planets have moon or moons, but I don't know that all have a moon. <laughs> Just Earth? I know that Jupiter has like 60, 70 or something, maybe. No, uh, all planets, almost all the planets have moons. Mercury doesn't, Venus doesn't, Earth has one, Mars has two. Jupiter has 72, 
What about Neptune? I don't know. <laughs> we refer to our moon as the moon because we didn't know that there were other moons until Galileo Galilei discovered four moons orbiting Jupiter in 1610. Since then, we've gone on to discover that our solar system has more than 200 moons. Earth's moon is the fifth largest, coming in behind three of Jupiter's moons and one of Saturn's, Ganymede, Titan, Callisto, and Io. Most of the moons out there are small and are more closely related to asteroids and meteors. Most of the moons, big or small, are orbiting Jupiter and Saturn, and scientists are regularly finding more in their orbits. But whether or not all of our planets have moons? That answer is no. Mercury doesn't have any, and neither does Venus. Earth has one, and Mars has two. From there, Jupiter is believed to have 79, but only 53 are confirmed. Saturn is believed to have 82, but only 53 are confirmed there either. Uranus has 27, and Neptune has 14. Pluto doesn't count these days since now it's dubbed a dwarf planet, but it has five moons that orbit it. And if you're curious if moons can have moons, well, it's certainly a possibility, but so far, scientists haven't found any. What impacts does the moon have on Earth? Uh, I don't know. Oh my God. Um, so I've read that it can impact a lot, like tides. Mm -hmm. I don't know, seasons maybe? Look. My brain? Mm, I know it impacts the tides. And obviously it reflects sunlight at night, so you can have sunlight at night too. It controls the tides and the waves and the ocean, and it does a lot of good things for us. It holds the tide in place and the, it allows the Earth to rotate under the tide. The gravitational pull of the moon has an effect on our tides. The moon most definitely has an impact on the tides. It's the moon's gravity that pulls at the earth, which causes the predictable rise and fall in sea levels. High tide refers to the water bulging up from the earth's surface, and low tides are when the water levels drop. High tides occur on the side of the earth nearest the moon due to gravity, and on the side farthest from the moon due to the inertia of water. Low tides occur between these two humps. The pull of the moon is also slowing Earth's rotation, an effect known as tidal breaking, which increases our day by about 2.3 milliseconds per century. Additionally, the energy that the Earth loses is picked up by the moon, which increases its distance from us. The moon creeps about 1.5 inches further away every year. While the tides is the most obvious impact the moon has on the earth, the moon also has an impact on many other things as a result of the tides and something called the lunar nodal cycle. This cycle, which was first documented in 1728, is up to a five degree wobble that occurs every 18.6 years. When the lunar plane tilts away from the equatorial plane, the tides on earth grow smaller. But when the moon's orbit is more in line with the Earth's equator, the tides are exaggerated. These exaggerated tides, combined with rising sea levels, are expected to cause dramatic high tide floods in the 2030s, 
The high tide flooding impacts wildlife, especially in coastal ecosystems, and has the potential to be an existential threat. Extensive high tide flooding can drown salt marshes, where many invertebrates, such as shrimp and crabs, live. These invertebrates are a major food source for birds and fish near the shores. The tides also impact the weather. Tides are a factor that influence the movement of ocean currents, which bring warm, wet weather or cold, dry weather. Additionally, scientists at Ohio State University have suggested that the switch between El Nino and La Nina may be influenced by subsurface ocean waves, which are driven by lunar tidal gravitational force. Additionally, there are impacts from the moon that have nothing to do with the tides. The moon is thought to affect polar temperatures and contribute to fluctuations and the extent of Arctic ice. This is likely due to the amount of light reflected from the moon as it waxes and wanes. The poles are an estimated 0.55 degrees Celsius warmer during a full moon. While the moon doesn't impact seasons per se, it does have a subtle influence on Earth's weather. What are the phases of the moon? Uh, new, full, waning, and waxing. A crevice, half, gibbous, full, new. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Do you mean quarter, like quarter, half moon, three quarters, full moon? You've got waxing, waning, full moon, half moon, <laughs> new moon. There's a new moon. Full moon, crescent moon, waning moon. I, I can't name any more. <laughs> All of them. New moon, waxing crescent, half moon, no, waxing gibbous, half moon, waning gibbous, waning crescent, and full moon. As the moon orbits around the Earth and the Earth orbits around the sun, the angle between the sun, moon, and earth changes. This changes what the moon looks like to us because the amount of sunlight that reflects off changes. The moon goes from dark, where we can't see it at all, to totally lit and back to dark in the course of a lunar cycle, which is 29.53059 days long. There are four primary phases of the moon. New, first quarter, full, and last quarter. There are also four secondary phases, waxing crescent, waxing gibbous, waning gibbous, and waning crescent. While the primary phases occur at a specific moment, no matter where you are on Earth, the secondary phases span a period of time. The new moon is thus named because it starts the new lunar cycle. In this phase, the sun and moon are in conjunction, meaning they are closest together in the sky on the same side of Earth. From our view, the moon looks totally dark because we are seeing the moon's shadowed side. Side note, occasionally the new moon's position lines up correctly between the sun and earth, and from earth it will cover part or all of the sun's disk, creating a solar eclipse. Waxing crescent moon is the phase between new moon and first quarter moon. It starts out as a thin crescent-shaped moon, which in the northern hemisphere starts on the right side, and slowly widens each day until the moon's entire right side is illuminated. In the southern hemisphere, it's the same thing, but the left side instead of the right. The first quarter moon is when the moon is a quarter of the way through its cycle. At this point, the moon appears to be half lit. 
The phase between the quarter moon and the half moon is called waxing gibbous. Gibbous is derived from the Latin word meaning humpback, which refers to the curved lit area on the moon's surface. After this is the full moon. It's aptly named because at this state, the full disk is illuminated. The sun and the moon are in opposition. They are farthest apart in the sky on opposite sides of the earth. Next comes the waning gibbous, which is the recession of the light part of the moon as it moves from full back to the last quarter. The last quarter is named as such because the moon has traveled three quarters of the way through its orbit. We can see half of the moon's surface lit. In the northern hemisphere, it's the left side. In the southern, the right. Waning crescent follows the last quarter of the moon and the light surface subsides until we can no longer see any light on the moon's surface, bringing us back to the new moon and restarting the cycle. Do you know any of the special moon names? Yeah, uh, Blood Moon, Harvest Moon, um, that's probably it. Blood Moon, Blue Moon, Super Moon, mm, that's all I know. Yeah, there's, yeah, Harvest Moon, um, there's some, there's other ones too, but it's, cannot think right now. Well, guess what? I can I can list the super moon, super flower blood moon, which is what we just had in May. Harvest moon, blood moon, wolf moon. That's all I know. Uh, like a like a blood moon. Mm-hmm. Harvest moon, blue moon. I don't know any other ones. My immediate thought was blood moon. Um, and you've got the harvest moon. And then, of course, from Pocahontas, you got the blue corn moon. So the blue corn moon may sound like something that Disney made up, but corn moons are actually a named moon type. In fact, there are 12 named moon types, one in each month. Because the moon cycle is 29.5 days, though, every few years we have 13 full moons in the year instead of 12. This extra full moon is called a blue moon since it doesn't happen every year. Most commonly, the moon names we use are English interpretations of Native American names, but some are Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, Medieval English, or Neo-Pagan. The January full moon is often called the wolf moon from the howling of hungry wolves in the winter. It's also referred to as the stay-home moon or the quiet moon. February's full moon is called the snow moon, but some North American tribes called it the hungry moon due to the scarcity of food during midwinter. Other tribes refer to it as the bear moon when bear cubs are born. Storm moon, ice moon, and snow moon are common Celtic names for the February full moon. We don't often think of bugs when we think of the moon, but March is commonly referred to as the warm moon due to earthworms emerging courtesy of warmer soil. April's full moon is the pink moon thanks to the pink flocks of wildflowers that bloom all over North America in early spring. And April showers bring May flowers, and the May full moon? is the flower moon, describing all of the flowers in bloom in the spring. June brings us the strawberry moon, also called the berries ripen moon, green corn moon, and rose moon. The buck moon joins us in July to signify the new antlers that emerge on deer buck's foreheads. August is the sturgeon moon due to the large number of fish in the Great Lakes. The harvest moon. Now many folks know this one. 
It can be in September or October because it is the full moon that is closest to the autumnal equinox. Usually the harvest moon is in September, but every three years, it's in October. September is also referred to as the corn moon. Old English also referred to it as the wine moon, song moon, or barley moon. October, when it isn't the harvest moon, is called the hunter's moon. November is the beaver moon because it turns out that beavers prepare for winter in November. More somberly in Celtic tradition, it's the morning moon or the darkest depths moon. December is the cold moon, also sometimes called the Yule moon or long night moon, all of which are pretty self-explanatory. And these names are only utilized in the northern hemisphere because the seasons south of the equator aren't the same. Naming moons isn't limited to Western civilization, though. People in the Eastern Hemisphere also named the moons, a practice called Tsukumi in Japan. So what is a supermoon? I think a supermoon is when the moon is full, but it's at its closest approach to the Earth when it's full. So when the moon looks really big, uh, I can't remember why it does. It might have to do something with like gravitational lensing or something. I don't know. Um, that is when I think the moon is closest to the Earth in its um, rotation, and it causes um, large tides, I think. I don't know. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it means. So the super... Oh, is the super moon... The super moon could be how close it is to the Earth when it goes through the cycle, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought is that it's when it's going to be kind of the brightest, kind of like what we just had recently, but... That was the super moon. Was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, it's where the moon is closer to the Earth than it normally is, making it appear bigger. A supermoon isn't the name of a full moon in a specific month like the ones we just discussed, but rather what we call any full moon when its orbit is closest to the Earth at the same time it's full. The term was coined by astrologer Richard Knoll in 1979. The point where the moon is closest to the Earth in its orbit is called a perigee, and at that moment, the moon is about 226,000 miles from Earth. When the full moon appears at perigee, it is slightly brighter and larger than a regular full moon. Some lunar perigees are closer than others due to the shape of the moon's orbit changing over time. This results in something referred to as extreme perigees, which happen on a predictable basis. What's less common is having a full moon at the same time as an extreme perigee. We last had an extreme perigean full moon in November of 2016. Before that, it was 1948, and the next one won't be until 2034. While the next extreme perigean full moon is over a decade away, there are still two regular supermoons you can view this year, June 14th and July 13th. What is a lunar eclipse? A lunar eclipse is where the moon goes completely behind the Earth in its shadow. A lunar eclipse is when Earth blocks the light from the sun completely. Well, I do think that we did have a lunar eclipse then. Just recently, did we not? Yep, Sunday. Okay, that's what I thought. The lunar eclipse, oh yes, the lunar eclipse is when there's an eclipse. So when the sun, the earth, and the moon line up is the lunar eclipse. I'm going to get this wrong. (laughs) 
but it's when the Earth is between the sun and the moon, so that the light gets blocked out, or maybe the other way around. I get them mixed up. That is when the moon goes in front of the sun, and it looks really cool. A lunar eclipse is um, when the Earth gets in the way of the sun and the moon. turns a reddish color. A lunar eclipse occurs when the Earth aligns between the sun and moon and casts a shadow across the lunar surface. They only occur during a full moon and can last as long as six hours. There are three types of lunar eclipses. A total lunar eclipse, a partial lunar eclipse, and a penumbral lunar eclipse. During a total lunar eclipse, the moon's surface appears to be a rusty red color, earning it the nickname Blood Moon. This red appearance is caused by sunlight interacting with Earth's atmosphere. When sunlight reaches the Earth, our atmosphere scatters and filters different wavelengths. Shorter wavelengths, such as blue light, are scattered outward, while longer wavelengths, such as red, are bent or refracted into Earth's umbra. When the moon passes through Earth's umbra during a total lunar eclipse, the red light reflects off the lunar surface, giving us our eerie red blood moon. Lunar eclipses are a relatively common phenomenon in astronomical terms. Around three occur every year, and around 30% of all lunar eclipses are total lunar eclipses. No special tools are needed to watch a lunar eclipse, so we get the chance three times a year to gaze up at the sky and watch this lunar treat. Do you know any superstitions or myths regarding the moon? Yes, full moons just drive everybody crazy. Just saying. Stuff goes crazy in my department <laughs> when there's a full moon. Our conversation goes, is it a full moon? Well, that explains everything. <laughs> I don't know if it's superstition, but full moons causing werewolf transformations. No. Not even werewolves? No. <laughs> Why would werewolves be on the moon? Because they turn into werewolves when the moon is full. Oh, I thought you meant, I thought you meant like on the moon. No. <laughs> Uh, um, no. <laughs> not off the top of my head, no. Not werewolves, or it makes people crazy? Werewolves, or... oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Full moon makes uh, my dog crazy, I know that. Uh, werewolves, for sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess people are people could potentially be affected by uh, the moon, or a full moon, and become a werewolf. Um, that... Sometimes uh, the moon causes solar eclipses that are perceived as being a harbinger of something bad or good, and that the moon is made of cheese. Uh, lunatic means the moon drives you crazy. Uh, werewolves howl at the full moon. Uh, some people say it's made of cheese. Some people say we've never been there. Uh, we have been there in 1969. Uh, that's pretty much all I know. Werewolves, cheese, and crazy people, oh my. There are definitely a plethora of different superstitions and myths attributed to the moon. Sometimes, the moon is good luck. It is said that exposing your newborn to the waxing moon will make your baby strong. And a full moon on a Monday? Good news is coming your way. But sometimes, the moon can mean bad luck, such as having a full moon on a Sunday or to view or point at the moon over your shoulder. Some superstitions have been debunked by scientists. The full moon affecting animal behavior? 
Well, kind of. Wolves howl at the full moon. Yes. But they also howl at the black sky. Animals tend to be more active during a full moon. It's true. But that's because there's more light. What about the full moon making us crazy? We have the Roman goddess Luna, Latin for moon, who was the divine representation of the moon to thank for the words lunacy and lunatic. People have long attributed a change in behavior to the full moon, but so far, there's no science to back that claim up, only anecdotal stories. And as someone who has worked retail and customer service for 25 years, I have a ton of anecdotal evidence of the full moon's impact on people. How about that cheese moon? This found its origin as a proverb and metaphor for credulity with roots in fable. It refers to the perception of a simpleton who sees the reflection of the moon in water and mistakes it for a round cheese wheel. The moon being made of cheese was never actually a historically popular belief, although a 1902 study of child lore by psychologist G. Stanley Hall found that most young children in his study were unsure of the composition of the moon and that it was made of cheese was the single most common explanation. And what about the werewolves? Well, men who turn into wolves appear in battle accounts written by Greek historian Herodotus, as well as in Roman literature by Ovid, Virgil, and Pliny the Elder. A popular term for werewolves, lycanthrope, comes from the Greek word lykos, which means wolf. In one Greek myth, a man named Lycon was changed into a wolf by the gods as punishment for trying to trick them. Norse people viewed man-wolves as a gift and believed that a warrior could improve his ferocity by wearing a wolfskin belt and taking on the spirit of a wolf. A fun and intriguing story, but so far, no real werewolves have been found. So do you believe any of the myths or superstitions about the moon? I don't believe in superstitions or myths. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My dog is crazy. Certainly. You think werewolves are out there? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like it's hollow? No. I don't. I think it's just planetoid. Do you think it makes people crazy? Lunatics? Mm, I think people are crazy for believing half the stuff about the moon. Yeah, to be honest, I just, I don't know. I don't think I've really put like a hard belief on it. It's just one of those things where it's like, ah, it's a full moon and I just kind of chalk it up. I don't really care. You just blame it on it. (laughs) Yeah, I just, there you go. I just blame it on it. I like that. Why do you think people are so fascinated by the moon? It's the, when it's full and, you know, it's the largest thing in our sky at night and sometimes during the day. And I think that it is... I don't know. I think that, that people have just become accustomed to recognizing it and attributing it to something else. It's big and in the sky, and Jeff Bezos wants to build a Amazon factory on it. Um, Because it's so big, so close, and we've landed on it, and it's in space. I think because, I don't know, I feel like people associate you know outer space in general with like aliens and ufos and so they think it's just this like supernatural type thing that we we do know a a lot about but at the same time it feels like we don't so that i think that could be part of it it's just beautiful have you ever looked in the sky and seen it it's beautiful (laughs) because it's like the clearest thing in the sky really 
and it's right there and you, it's unobtainable like you know people can go there but you odds are will never go there i just think going back so long it was always there at night and it changed which would give different meaning to them but like the sun it was something there and constant and larger than themselves and that fascination with those objects is rooted very I think it's tied very closely just with humanity. Folklore, poetry, legends, and science books have long included observations about the moon. People have been fascinated by this glowing ball in the night sky. It's so present, but for many people, completely unreachable. It invokes thoughts of the supernatural or of things otherworldly. Its beauty is enchanting and has been a consistent and predictable part of life for as long as people have been recording their stories. It is intriguing to scientists and mystics and lay people. It has been part of the history of people all over the planet for centuries and will continue to be a part of history for centuries to come. I hope you enjoyed our trip down the rabbit hole this week as we learned about the moon. Thank you to Maria Prey for recommending the topic for this week's episode, and thank you so much for listening. Until our next visit in Wonderland, be safe, be kind, and stay curious. The Welcome to Wonderland podcast is copyrighted by Ami Bland and is part of the Barrett Gruber Entertainment Division. This podcast is recorded in the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. Any thoughts or opinions expressed as part of this production are those of the host unless otherwise indicated. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, like, and share this podcast. Find us on Facebook at Welcome to Wonderland the Podcast and on Twitter at Wonderland underscore pod. To submit corrections, additional information, or requests for episodes, please email the host at welcome to wonderland, the podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Wonderland as part of the GOT Podcast Network and a product of Barrett Gruber Entertainment and Media.